This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. Robert, I'm excited. Yeah, look, it's got a lot to live up to because we've had two belters right in a row. 1993 was the first year to break the nine barrier. Indeed. And then 1994, it was unanimously hailed as a brilliant year. So we'll start, as we always do, with some of the international events that were going on yeah. back in 1995. It was a bit of a sea change year, 95, certainly for the internet. But the one thing that was dominating the news agenda, and I mean dominating the news agenda, was, of course, the trial of O.J. Simpson, accused of killing his ex-wife, Nicole Brown, and her companion, whose name I forget. Our lover, or our our alleged lover, whose name escapes me at this moment in time. Okay, we'll we'll have to to look that up. Um, By the time the verdict of the eight-month trial was reached, and I actually, I had my first ever trip to the U.S. in 1995. Ron Goldman. Ron Goldman. I was actually in uh, California during the trial, and it was wall-to-wall. Absolute wall-to-wall. Yeah, it was the first of a time I'd been to the US. It was a family holiday. And we went over to the West Coast, and we went to the Universal Studios and all that sort of stuff. And every time you went into a hotel and turned the TV on, it was the O.J. Simpson trial. 150 million people tuned in to watch the final live decision. And a couple of facts for you. When Russian President Boris Yeltsin met US President Bill Clinton... In 1995, his first words were, do you think OJ did it? No way. Wow. And on October the 3rd, when he was acquitted of murder on both counts, apparently so much disruption to America's workforce took place that it cost them $480 million in lost productivity. Because people were tuning in to see the verdict. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It was the trial that stopped the nation. It really was. century. Yeah, really I was, was I was in the U.S. around that time as well on a on a family holiday, and same thing on the radio. You couldn't escape it; it was just perpetual. Mm, I remember it was everywhere. I would have been what nine at the time. I do remember in terms of the news, it was such a big deal because, of course, cameras were in the courtroom, and the famous line Johnny Cochran, who was the defender uh, for O.J. Simpson, "If it don't fit, you must acquit." That was, of course, the glove, and of course, he tried to put it in. The prosecution made the decision. To be in front of the jury for O.J. Simpson to try on this glove that was found near the scene of the crime and his hand wouldn't fit. And that was the famous, if it don't fit, you must acquit. And they did so. In other massive news, blue M&Ms were introduced. <laughs> oh, my Lord, from O.J. The Mars, the Mars, blue M&Ms. Welcome <laughs> the, to Oscar. The, the Mars Stop Candy the Company decided that having two shades of brown M&Ms was unnecessary. <laughs> so they did away with the light brown one, oh leaving Lord. only the colours red, yellow, green, dark brown and orange. Mars held a replacement contest inviting candy lovers to call a 1-800 number and oh, vote wait. for their favourite. Their choice was between blue, pink or purple and unanimously blue was voted in and M&Ms have never been the same since. <laughs> I forgot that there was a light brown until this very moment. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> Think how much your life changed, though. Uh, i got to tell you this story because back in 1995, as we know, um, the, the internet was still an emergent kind of place. But if you actually go a year prior to that, it was very much the province of early adopters. 1994 was... People were still trying to wrap their heads around it. Yahoo at the time was a college side project. It wasn't yeah. a company. Wow. By the end of 1995, it was actually 
it had emerged to the kind of mass market medium that we actually know today. And there were 23,500 active websites by the end of 1995, which was a, an increase of 2,728. Uh, of course, this predated all the, the, the Googles and the Wikipedias and the Instagrams and the Facebooks. However, the dot-com boom officially began in 1995, and the popular web destinations were AltaVista, Excite, GeoCities, wow. Lycos, Pathfinder, Webcrawler, and Yahoo. I don't see Jeeves on there. When did Jeeves become I'm not sure when Jeeves. Big deal. I'm not sure when Jeeves became a big deal. But Jeeves is one of the first ones I remember as well. Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, yeah. Oh, my Lord. Get this, right? The, the number of internet users in 1995 was about 16 million, which was less than 1% of the total global population. And on August the 4th, eBay.com went online. And I found out that the first person to ever buy anything on eBay was a bloke called Mark Fraser. <laughs> right. He's a Canadian guy. And for some reason, he bought off the founder, Pierre Omidyar, he bought a broken laser pointer. And you may wonder why anyone would actually want to buy a broken laser pointer. Uh, but until Mark Fraser actually stepped forward himself and explained, we've got a clip. Back in about 1995, I was on the road doing quite a lot of presentations and I'd seen a couple of laser pointers and I thought, boy, I want one of those. They cost something over $100 and I couldn't afford one. My boss certainly wasn't going to go for it. Somebody pointed me at a brand new website, which turned out to be eBay, and I was amazed to discover a broken laser pointer that was listed. And I thought, hey, I can probably make that work. I have to say, that was only the beginning of a long eBay career, which is still going on to this day. Not a boring guy at all. <laughs> that is not what I was expecting. So he wasn't trying to be a part of internet history. No. He just really needed a laser yeah. pointer. Yes. Has he, he was, since, he has was he willing since to buy it? a broken one because A, he couldn't afford one that worked <laughs> and he just figured he could somehow fudge it. That was a brilliant <laughs> little clip there. That was. Has he since auctioned it for like $3 million? Uh, I, I don't know. We didn't elaborate on that. He doesn't sound like the kind of guy that would do that. Yeah, he's probably helped, you know. He's probably turned it into a very heart. useful implement yeah. for himself over the years. Right. Let's get back to it. Movies. Okay. We start this year's movie review by asking you, Chris, to rate this Scottish accent. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! It does make me well up a little. In yeah. terms of the Scottish accent, Robbie, I think you know my answer to it. It's bleeding awful. Is, You've got is, a better is, one. Is, is mine better than Mel's? Oh, Ten times better. Oh, brilliant. Bill Gibson. <laughs> you just made Robbie's day with that. Massively made my day. Yeah. It's horrendous. You know what, though? I'll give him I'll give him points for trying. It's better than, you know. What, males? Yeah. So you've got a better British <laughs> yeah. accent. No, no, no. Well, what she's trying to say is he's done a better job than Kevin Costner yes, as Robin Hood. Exactly. Than somebody who doesn't even try. Yeah. Mm. Now, that, that film won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Oh, the movie's Braveheart. great, though. It's brilliant. It yeah. brings a tear to my eye as well. I get oh. very emotional watching it as well. 
Um, but yeah, Braveheart, I thought we'd have to open up with that. It is a great <laughs> film. I could watch it again tomorrow. I really could. I it's a great film. Um, raking in an impressive $366 million at the box office, this was the top grossing film of 95. In the hands of a mastermind of terror. I want to play a game with Lieutenant McLean. What kind of game? Simon Says. The path to revenge leads straight to John McLean. If we don't do what this guy says, he's going to blow up another public place. Why me? What has he got to do with me? I have no idea. He just said it had to be you. It's nice to be needed. <laughs> that is, of course, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Playing and this is yet another role, because remember when we said that Sean Connery had turned down the role of Hannibal Lecter because he couldn't stand how villainous Hannibal Lecter was, and Anthony Hopkins got it. He turned down this one as well. He turned down the role of the main villain, Simon, Simon. because he was too diabolical, apparently. Sean Connery. Yeah, because Simon, played by Jeremy Irons, is the brother of Hans Gruber. Yeah. Played by Alan Rickman in the first one. It's great for the vengeance. A little bit of a, a sort of pop movie trivia for you as well. Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson star together in that film. Yeah, they did. And it turns out they've starred in a lot of films together. Die Hard with a Vengeance, Pulp Fiction, Loaded Weapon 1. What's Unbreakable Weapon? Or le- is that Lethal Weapon 1? No, it can't be. Unbreakable and Glass. Yeah, so they have starred in an awful lot of movies together. They Ooh. have. Huh. Um, another massive film from the year was Pixar's Toy Story, and it was the first of a trilogy, made its debut on the 22nd of November, and it's the first computer animated film in history. Take a yeah. listen. Local law enforcement. It's about time you got here. I'm Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger, Universe Protection Unit. My ship has crash-landed here by mistake. Yes, it is a mistake, because you see, the bed here is my spot. I need to repair my turbo boosters. Do people still use fossil fuels, or have you discovered crystallic fusion? Well, let's see. Uh, we got double A's. <gasps> Watch yourself. Oh, who goes there? Don't shoot. It's okay. Friends. Do you know these life forms? <laughs> yes. They're Andy's toys. Brilliant movie, that. It's I've said it before. It's such a great movie. We'll see it again. I love Toy Story. Yeah, I still haven't seen it in its entirety. Um, I did find out, though, that Woody, who's the kind of the, the jilted kind of favourite toy, isn't he? Yeah, Buzz Lightyear yeah. is right? bought. Tom Hanks. And Woody becomes the kind of cast-off, doesn't he? He does. He was initially supposed to be a bit of a jerky character. Uh, but they realised ultimately that they couldn't make a successful kids movie by making an unlikable main yeah, protagonist. So, yeah, so they actually altered his character to make him more well-meaning and kind, albeit you know somewhat jealous about Buzz Lightyear's arrival. And I, I need to see that film because oh, you do. The script is really is amazing. It's so good. It's very very well done. Um, so Tom Hanks was in that, but he was also yeah, in another. He was also in this. A very famous line was delivered by him in one of the year's biggest blockbusters. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. And you know what? I've never actually seen Apollo 13. Nor have I. I've, I actually watched it at the cinema and I've not seen it since. It tells the role of, uh, or it tells the story of Jim Lovell, who is played by Tom Hanks. And it, it still remains one of the most faithful depictions of a NASA operation ever put to film. Really? Yeah, that's it what is. they say. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I haven't, I'm not an expert, but uh, the previous year had been the star of Forrest Gump. Yeah. So this was prime so Hanks. Toy Story, Apollo 13, Forrest Gump, all within a year, 12 months, 18 exactly. months. Wow. Exactly. Now, Martin Scorsese was at it again this year with another gangster classic starring Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. 
At that time, Vegas was a place where millions of suckers flew in every year on their own nickel and left behind about a billion dollars. But at night, you couldn't see the desert that surrounds Las Vegas. But it's in the desert where lots of the town's problems are solved. Got a lot of holes in the desert, and a lot of problems are buried in those holes. Oh, Casino. Suck it. I love that film. And it's not as revered as Goodfellas. No, it isn't. It's probably in the middle of the Scorsese canon for, for, for in terms of being critically acclaimed, but I think it seems to have aged well over time. And an interesting story about it, the character Sam Ace Rothstein is based on a, a real-life guy called Frank Lefty Rosenthal. Of course, all gangsters have to have a nickname, Chris, as we discovered last week. Now, he was retired. He was living in Florida when the writer of the book, Nicholas Pelagi, came around wanting to write a book about his career. He sort of didn't object to it, but he wasn't massively keen on it either. He didn't have a massive amount of interest until he found out that Scorsese had planned to make a movie out of the book and that Robert De Niro was actually going to play him. Suddenly, his interest perked up. And Pelagi, who also wrote Goodfellas, um, basically he, he, he said to him, look, I want, I want to meet De Niro, I want to make this thing happen. And then a load of his old associates came out of the woodwork and offered their cooperation. It was shot in a real casino, not on a film set. It was shot at Las Vegas's Riviera Casino, where they basically shot between midnight and 10 a.m. when it was less busy. But there were actual people oh, wow. going about their business during the filming of it. And Scorsese used real dealers and pit bosses where possible for realism. I did not know that. Yeah. So there's people walking around going, why is there a camera there? And they're in the movie. Yeah. That is brilliant. Brilliant, isn't it? Never been brilliant. to the Riviera. Is that still it must be. It must be. Pr- off probably the old time. Might, might, might not even be still around. It was, it's quite a, obviously an old film, oh, yeah, so gosh. I'm not sure whether the hotel is still there. Mm. Um, but speaking of iconic quotes, and I, I actually couldn't, I couldn't include the actual quote for obvious reasons, but no one who has watched this film will ever forget this twist. California, stay away from here. Stay away from here now. Don't, don't, don't come in here. Whatever you hear, stay away. John Doe has the upper hand. Mills! Here he comes. What now, you do a great eyes. impression of what was said afterwards. Yeah. What's but in the, there's a, go on. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> so now, good. I, I watched it. There's actually quite a lot of profanity. Yeah, there is. Um, so I couldn't actually clip it up. So and we, also, it's just quite disturbing. So I didn't want to clip yeah. it up. It is. You know, there's a few twists. and you, can, you know, a few twists in movies. Obviously, The Sixth Sense at the time made a lot of headlines. That yeah. is jaw-dropping. Mm. It really is. And uh, here's a, and I'll say fun fact. I mean, it's not that fun, but um, it was I initially yeah. it was it was initially supposed to be Morgan Freeman's character who shot John Doe, not Brad Pitt. But Pitt stepped in and vetoed that idea because he said that anyone in his situation <laughs> Careful, this would is have massive. done what he did. Yeah, very, mm. very interesting. Very interesting. Interesting. Great movie. And the final movie of uh, 1995 that I've featured on this particular edition of the Time Capsule is the return of James Bond with a new man playing him. I want you to find Goldeneye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. Name's Bond. James Bond. And that, of course, was Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan, dueling with Sean Bean, 006. 
And do you remember that first oh. scene where he jumps off the, the dam? Yeah. The bungee jump off the dam. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real departure from the sort of Timothy Dalton era of James Bond and the Roger Moores, which had become very tongue-in-cheek. It was a bit more of a kind of edgier yeah, production it, of James it Bond. It was a production blockbuster and it was a huge success it was actually the first james bond that was not based on an ian fleming novel did not know that either Mm. wow so creative license was handed to the writers of that the movies i'm loving them rob 1995 off to a strong start music definitely a a sea change is occurring in the music obviously last year we detailed the emergence of Britpop with oasis's debut album definitely maybe blur came onto the scene as well and the i'll say the kind of cheery dance kind of genre and the the emerging kind of old school hip-hop that that has somewhat been replaced by a more commercialized r&b and kind of you'll you'll see when you hear the kind of tracks that that i play out the sort of innocence of that of that first uprising of that kind of music has definitely been replaced by a a much more commercially kind of driven sound but uh take a listen to this this was the biggest selling single of 1995 i think you'll enjoy it i really hate the trip but i gotta know as they croak i see myself in the pistol smoke fool i'm the kind of cheetah little homies wanna be like on my knees in the night saying prayers in the street light love that song so it's obviously the title track for the 1995 film dangerous minds starring michelle pfeiffer it's also sampling a song called pastime paradise by none other than stevie wonder and they needed his approval coolio did to get this song off the ground and initially because it contained swearing he refused to approve Mm. it they rewrote the lyric and he did approve ultimately the sample of that that song pastime paradise it won the grammy in 1995 for best rap solo performance good movie by the way dangerous minds if you haven't seen it i haven't seen that one yet michelle pfeiffer inner city school yeah Yeah. school of hard knocks and it's very good excellent and that song's brilliant you'll enjoy this one chris it's a song by entrance (laughs) it's a re-release but it hit the big time in 95 dominating the club scene Right, okay, so... That song needs a remake. Oh, it's so good. Here's the backstory. It needs to come back. So according to Entrance's Kevin O'Toole, not a a name I would associate with a band called Entrance, the song was inspired by a night out in the Hacienda in Manchester in 1989. He said they used to pass around pints of water, no idea why, and a woman came up to me and I felt her heart beat through her top. Wow. The Uh, songs created a diary of what was happening at the time. So so says Kevin. Entrance, set you free. What Uh, a tune it is. Now, La Bouche was the creation of the German producer Frank Farian, (laughs) and this single, Be My Lover, was a smash hit. Words fail me, but I can't get on board with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
So this swept the charts all over Europe, the UK and Australia. It hit number one in Germany and Sweden. It featured a team of singers, including Melanie Thornton and Lane McRae. <laughs> love them the names. It's about a rap, you too. Where's that Sounds like, sounds like that the guy who did rhythm, the Rhythm is a Dancer yeah, little rap. Yeah, it does, yeah. All the Maybe raps were the same, same weren't they? Yeah. The, the, the rhyming was so basic. I'm not like your brother. I want to be your <laughs> mother. <laughs> I mean, it's just so, like, it was just so basic. Where is your mother? Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that ends with other. Uh, <laughs> right, now this was a massive hit. You guys will both recognise this one and you'll both remember it. This was um, this artist's only number one on the Billboard Hot 100, although he would go on to chart in the top 40 seven more times, but this was his biggest hit. by Montel Jordan, of course, who would later go on to become a born-again Christian. Really? In 2010, he left the music business to become a minister. Uh-huh. That reminds me of Mace. I think Mace did yeah, the Mace same. Yeah, Mace did exactly the same. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. Rappers with a conscience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Made their money. Off they go. Yeah. He said, it's a calling that's probably been with me all my life. I've mm. known it. A lot of people in the business know it and have the same calling. But that leap of faith is difficult said Montel. Fair point. And uh, that was the end of his music career, obviously. Now, this one, I know you're going to enjoy this one. It's a duo from Oakland, California, comprising the rappers, and this is their names, Yuck Mouth and Numbskull. <laughs> Takes me back, that yeah, one. Yeah, this one really takes me back as well. Yeah. My friend, who I used to get the bus with to school every day, he was a massive fan of R&B. He was a he would, play, he would play this a lot. Of Yuckmouth and Numbskull. Yeah, he was, yeah. yeah. And uh, this became an internationally successful hit. It was boosted by the remix, which also featured the likes of Shock G, Richie Rich, E-40 and Spice One. We're pretending that we know anything yeah, of I, those. I, exactly. Uh, this one, this next song is a song by Jamaican recording artist Diana King, and it appeared on the movie soundtrack oh. for Bad Boys. Say no more. I don't want no fly guy. I just want a shy guy. That's what I want, yeah. You know what I want, yeah. But I don't want some Love it. So uh, good. Wait, are you telling me Bad Boys was in this year as well? I don't think so. I don't I think, have seen it. Was it not? Have I don't messed think, up here? Because I don't think so. No, you better I'm going to look it up because Bad if Boys. It, if it has, then I've, I have to extend a massive apology for <laughs> missing it. When you were writing down that it appeared on Bad Boys, didn't you think? Oh, oh no. It is it 95. 1995. I mean, that was one of my favorite movies yeah, growing up. Okay, so I hold my hands up. <laughs> I've omitted <laughs> Bad Boys from the movies. Uh, you dropped a clanger there. Massive clanger dropped. Um, but there you go. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was actually quite a critically acclaimed song. Speaking of reggae fusion, this was also a big hit in 1995. Mr. Bombastic. We want some bombastic, romantic, fantastic lover. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, Shaggy, he, he, it, this is actually true, and I, I did look into this, but his nickname, his stage name, Shaggy, is actually based on the Scooby-Doo character. It really? Is. Yes. Why? I don't know. Is he a fan of Although he definitely Scooby-Doo? adopted Mr. Bombastic after this song became a big hit. And remember, he had his, his second coming. Remember the song yeah, he released? Yeah, of course. It wasn't me. It wasn't and me. And then he had something about an angel. Yeah, Angel yeah. Bright. It, it wasn't, wasn't me. me. Yeah, because yeah. of course, that Oh was Carolina like... was his first hit. That was back in 1993. Right, He's actually got some tunes to Shaggy. Yeah, early yeah. 2000s. Yeah, it yeah. Wasn't yeah, he me. came to Dubai actually when I was still in high school. I remember seeing him around then. Really? Yeah. For some reason, Bombastic reminds me, and this is crazy, but anybody who grew up here and used to watch Star World, there was this one animated advertisement of a guy who's wearing some jeans, but then he has to go save somebody in the next building, so he throws his jeans, oh. and it's his animation. It's all set to Mr. Bombastic, Shaggy. I need to and see that. And he slides down the and, and jumps into the window of another building or something. <laughs> Anyone that can remember that advert, That advertisement. Do let us know on 4001. And that Bombastic album, it actually was critically acclaimed, wasn't it? It was. Not? It won the Grammy in 1996 for Best Reggae Album. Uh, let's move on. A couple more songs for you. This was only the second single to debut at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Take a listen. And that was, of course, who? Mariah Carey's Fantasy. Can you get on board with this, Chris? Listen, I'm not her biggest fan, but I can Come get on, on board. Come on, it's like her most feel-good song. Yeah, I can get on board. Can I just say, heck of a voice. I mean, she does have a heck yeah. of a voice, Mariah. I'll give her that. And it was another big year for Britpop. It was a massive year for Britpop, and after the triumph of their debut album, Definitely Maybe, Oasis released What's the Story, Morning Glory, which was a big departure from the kind of high-energy rock and roll of Definitely Maybe. It was a much more ballady-style album, huge anthemic choruses, a little bit like this one. Because maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me And after all, you're my It's gone through a lot of different phases because initially it was a commercial success as an album but the critics did not like it at all really? yeah they they thought that it was it was just too um it wasn't as edgy shall i say as okay. definitely maybe and there's no doubt i've certainly prefer definitely maybe as an album mm. uh, but ultimately because it's got so many anthemic tunes like what's the story you know i loved it it's got champagne supernova it's got wonder wall it's got she- all, all those great uh, mm. great tracks that became festival favorites i think yeah. it's fair to say i think um its sort of stature has grown over the years and it's now regarded as one of the best albums of the Britpop era we'll move on it was a great year for sport as well it was i think we've spoken a lot about this particular event in the past and its historical significance it was of course the rugby world cup returning to south africa this is in the post apartheid era south africa winning famously in the final 15-12 over new zealand the all blacks the mighty all blacks it was an event that would later be portrayed by the film Invictus and take a listen to the, the dying moments of that final. Back it comes to Stransky. Up goes the kick. Up goes the walls. Stransky has kicked his head. And with two minutes gone in the second period, 
of extra time, South Africa's dream is alive once more. But that's it. South Africa have won the World Cup. And they were, lest we forget, up against a much fancied All yeah, Blacks. Yeah, I mean, Jonah Lomu's emergence. Yeah. He was the star of that tournament up until that point. I mean, he'd been he trampled England in the semi-finals, and he'd, he'd been running riot in the matches up until that. But they found a way to contain him, mm. and it was a, a gritty, gnarly match. But it was one that South Africa were able to win. And this is a great clip I found from uh, the captain Francois Pinar, who was played by Matt Damon in, in the Invictus film, remembering the role that Mandela actually played in the match that day. I didn't know that uh, Madiba is going to be in our changing room. I didn't know that. I mean, I was getting ready to to play the biggest match of my life. And the door opened and in walked, in walked Madiba. And what did, he, what did he wear? And he had the Springbok on his heart. And, you know, that was me. That, that's it. I couldn't, I couldn't sing the anthem. I, I was incredibly emotional. Um, I just... Uh, it was just this event was just was huge. And I walked up... On, onto the stage and, and he came straight to me and he took my hand and he said to me thank you Francois for what you've done for South Africa and I just couldn't believe that he said that and I actually said to him thank you Madiba for what you've done for South Africa Amazing scenes are Mm-hmm. Amazing scenes, and I remember that vividly. Yeah, me too. Me too. It was incredible, actually. Yeah, it was an incredible event. It was really, actually, when I, I was, I actually played a lot of rugby at the time. Um, or maybe I, I'd actually tried to retire. I think by that point, <laughs> I was fourteen, it was like thirteen or fourteen. I, my rugby days were over. But yeah, massively into I tried it. To retire, and I'm, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, you're going to continue getting the <laughs> school of hard knocks. Yeah, the bleep beaten out of you, out of you every yeah. Sunday. But uh, yeah, it was an incredible event. And um, we'll discuss a little bit of golf because Tiger Woods won his second U.S. Amateur Championship in '95. He became the only amateur that year to make the cut at the Masters, eventually finishing in a tie for 41st. And Wild Thing John Daly won the Open Championship. He beat Costantino Rocca in a four-hole playoff, and he delivered this somewhat unconventional winner's speech. What the hell do you want me to say? This is unbelievable. I. I've just lost for words, uh, but this goes to everybody, all my fans at home, but it especially goes to you people who rooted for me this year, this this week. God bless you, and man, this is awesome. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like it. It's really heartfelt. <laughs> yeah. What do you want me to say? Yeah. I mean, I just won. <laughs> um, <laughs> Usually you'd thank sponsors, you'd thank family, you know, people who were supporting you from day one. It's like, you people, brilliant. Um, (laughs) Annika Sorenstam won the first of 10 majors back in this year. And moving on to football, in the Champions League, Ajax defeated Mm -hmm. AC Milan to capture their fourth European Cup. Yeah, Paddy Claver. The only goal That's that right, game. yeah. Blackburn Rovers caused an upset in the Premier League, edging Manchester United out on the final day of the season thanks to prolific efforts from their strikers Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton and a bit of cash from Jack Walker as well. A bit of cash and the fact that Andy Cole just couldn't score on that final day That's down right. in West Ham. Yeah, that is no, right. No. Blackburn lost 2-1 at Anfield to Liverpool of all teams and United still couldn't get the job done. Miguel Indurain of Spain won the 82nd Tour de France, which was his fifth straight Tour win... Um, now, a, a few other 
riders have won the Tour de France five times, but he's the only person to win the event five consecutive years. Yeah, amazing. Miguel Indurain. Andre Agassi beat Pete Sampras in the Australian Open final. Sampras would win at Wimbledon later that year. Steffi Graf, who would ultimately marry Andre Agassi, won three Grand Slams that year. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. She actually won so many Grand Slams during that period of time. And uh, Monica Seles made her comeback two years after the stabbing incident and actually enjoyed some decent success that year, which was followed by a victory at the Australian Open the following year in 1996. And this one from boxing, George Foreman came out of retirement and became the oldest fighter at 45 to ever win the World Heavyweight Championship. Amazing, isn't it? Cheapers. That's your sport. That's your year. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.